Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It's a beautiful day, a beautiful day God has given us. I'm so thankful to see all of you thankful for this beautiful day, thankful for all the guests we have here with us, thankful for all the wonderful and godly mothers that are here. It's first and foremost the Lord's Day. We understand that, but it's also a day in our country where we celebrate godly, especially among the people of God, we celebrate godly mothers, wonderful and godly mothers, and we're so thankful. I'm so thankful all the mothers here who serve the Lord and love the Lord and do just such a wonderful job with their families. So thankful for the mothers. I hope the lesson this morning encouraged the mothers and hope it encouraged us men to, to be thankful for all the wonderful Abigails and all the wonderful godly women who are in our lives. I want to begin this lesson this morning by asking you a question. And my question is this. Do you know who this guy is right here? If you're a basketball fan like I am, you know who this guy is right here. Pretty sure Mitch knows who this guy is. Stan knows who this guy is. Greg, Greg Duckworth, Brother Jason, Brother Nelson. If you like basketball, you know who this guy is. This right here is A.C. Green. A.C. Green is a former NBA player. He actually played on the Phoenix Suns for a few years, and he's well remembered for about three or four different things. First, he was nicknamed the Iron Man. He's nicknamed the Iron Man not because he was a big fan of the Marvel character, but because he rarely missed a game. He actually has the record for the most consecutive games played in the NBA. In his 16-year career in the NBA, you know how many regular season games he missed? He only missed three. Only missed three games. And 16 years, he's remembered as the Iron Man, and he's also remembered for being a key contributor for the Showtime Los Angeles Lakers. That was a team in the 1980s that had some of the greatest players in the history of the game on it, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, and he's also remembered for being a three-time NBA champion, but probably the main thing he is remembered for is for being deeply religious and maintaining his virginity until he got married at the end of his career. You see, during an ESPN interview that was conducted several years back, A.C. Green admitted that maintaining his virginity during his 16-year NBA career was extremely difficult. It was extremely difficult. It was difficult not just because women constantly threw themselves at him because, again, He's an NBA player for the Los Angeles Lakers, but also because his teammates knew about his virginity and they constantly made fun of him. They constantly mocked him and, and they ridiculed him. They would constantly try to, try to do things to cause him to compromise his beliefs and give up his purity. They actually would send women to his hotel room. And these women would throw themselves at A.C. Green and you know what he would do? He would quote the Bible to them. He would quote to these women all kinds of verses, and that would run them off. With every woman, his teammates, through his way, he would say no. He would say no over and over and over again. He would make a choice to keep himself pure and fight off temptation, and he won those battles. He won those battles, and here's my question. 
My question is, how in the world was he able to do that? How in the world was A.C. Green able to do what he did? How in the world was he able to maintain his sexual purity for 16 years while playing in the NBA? Well, I submit the main thing that A.C. Green possessed that helped him stay true to his convictions and keep his purity was something called self-control. He had some self-control. We go in your Bible, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. Please go in your Bible if you've not yet done so. Back to 2 Peter chapter 1. For those of you who are members of this congregation, remember what our theme this year is as a church. Remember the theme that our shepherds have set for us this year as a congregation. Our theme is called Growing to Spiritual Maturity. Remember, in 2023, we want to grow. We want to grow spiritually. We want to stretch spiritually. We want to challenge ourselves spiritually. We want to grow to spiritual maturity. And one of the things that we hope will help us achieve this is a deep dive in the second Peter chapter one. Right. Remember, in second Peter chapter one, verses one through eleven, we find some ingredients. We find some spiritual ingredients. We find Peter's spiritual ingredients for growth. Going back to where we read from in our scripture reading this morning that Brother Caleb read for us this morning. Notice how in verses 5 and 6, Peter tells us that after we solidify our faith, after we, after we get rock solid and strong faith in Jesus Christ, we got to supply to that. We got to add to that. We got to build on that some virtue. We got to get some virtue. We got to get some righteous, noble, and excellent character. And we also got to acquire some knowledge. We got to get some knowledge from the word of God. And we also, Peter says, we got to get some self-control. Got to get some self-control. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed just how much self-control is mentioned in the Bible? You ever noticed that before? You ever noticed just how much self-control is emphasized throughout the scriptures? I'm reminded of this passage right here. Proverbs 25, 28. In Proverbs 25, verse number 28, the, the wise man Solomon wrote these words. He says, like a city that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. What is Solomon saying there? Well, in order for us to really appreciate what Solomon is saying there, we got to understand the significance of walls for a city in ancient times. You see, in ancient times, in the ancient world, the walls of a city were the primary defense for a city. The, the walls of, of a city were necessary to, to protect citizens against enemies who, who would come against them and try to invade them. They were a big part of the city's security. But what happens when the walls are breached? What happens when the walls are broken into or the walls are torn down? Well, the city is then vulnerable. The city is then wide open and it's unprotected against its enemies. It's not going to be very difficult for enemies to conquer those people. That's how it worked in the ancient world. And my dear friends, that's also how it works in our lives today. You see, we got to understand something when it comes to our lives today, when it comes to my life, when it comes to your life. We got to understand we are leading a city. 
we're all leading a city. We're all governing a city. We're running a city. And when we don't have self-control, the Bible says we are like a city without walls. We're not secure. We're in a dangerous situation. We're unprotected. We're wide open to any and everything that the enemy wants to throw our way. That's what Solomon is saying there in that verse. And we find this practically playing itself out throughout the Bible, do we not? For example, why did Cain, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, why did Cain murder Abel? Well, why did Cain get consumed with jealousy and bitterness and anger because Abel had a better sacrifice unto God? And, and why did he murder his brother? Why did David, this man we've been studying about for the last several months, why did he look upon Bathsheba with lust? And have an affair with her. Why did Samson constantly violate his Nazarite vow and at time have uncontrolled rage and commit sexual immorality with Philistine women? And why did even this wise man, why did this wise man Solomon allow his heathen wives to lead him away from God and persuade him to immerse himself in idolatry? And why did Judas, we talked about Judas this morning, why did he allow bitterness and greed and covetousness? To lead him to betray the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I submit that all of those people failed at those times in their lives because they lacked this right here. They lacked self-control. We find self-control, a lack of self-control being played out in people's lives all throughout the Bible. But then also think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul taught a lot about self-control in his preaching and in his teaching. For example, in Acts chapter 24, and in verse number 25, remember when, when the Apostle Paul was in prison in, in Caesarea Maritima, and he's able to preach the gospel to the Roman governor Felix. The Bible tells us what Paul preached to Felix. Remember, Acts 24, 25, he preached to him about righteousness, the righteousness of God, self-control, and the judgment to come. Paul pe preached to Felix about self-control. And then remember the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And then remember the qualifications for a man to be a shepherd in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2, Paul says that one of the qualifications of a shepherd is that he have self-control. Some translations render that word prudence. Self-control. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in the teachings of Paul. But also think about our lives. Think about our lives. Think about the times in our own lives when, when we struggled with this. You ever struggled with this before? I've struggled with this. Think about times in our lives when we struggle with self-control. Think about times in our lives when we've lost the battle and the walls of our city were torn down and breached. Think about the times in our lives when we knew the right thing to do. We knew the right thing to do, but we didn't do it. I think we've all struggled with self-control before. And self-control, a lack of self-control can manifest itself in a few different ways. It can manifest itself in, in sexual sin. It can manifest itself in addictions. Addictions to drinking, tobacco products, even food, gluttony. That's a lack of self-control. 
It can manifest itself in gambling. Greed. Having an uncontrolled temper. You see, self-control can be a problem for us. Just like it was a problem for people that we can read about in the Bible. And here's the question we want to think about this morning. How do we get this? How do we acquire this? How do we obtain self-control? Well, if we're going to get some self-control in our lives, and I need some of that. I need some of that. I think we all need some of that. Well, the first thing we got to do is this. We got to know what it is. We got to define this term. What is self-control? Well, self-control involves, obviously, controlling yourself. You don't need a Ph.D. to get that, right? You don't need to know Greek to understand that. Self-control involves controlling yourself, controlling your emotions, controlling your desires, having some sound judgment, having some prudence, like the word is often rendered in many translations. Not just knowing the right thing to do. Not just knowing what, what God says, but also doing it, having some discipline, having some inner strength that helps hold you back and keep you in check and restrains you and helps you not let yourself go and give in to every desire. That's what self-control is. Sound judgment, prudence, discipline, inner strength that helps restrain you. And keeps you from just doing anything you want to do. You see, when a person has this, when a Christian has this, when a disciple has self-control, you know what that means? That means God has full control. That means that God has full control of their lives, their anger and their frustrations with life and other people. That doesn't have full control over their lives. But their sexual desires. That doesn't have full control over their lives. The pursuit for success and wealth and praise from other people. That doesn't have full control over their lives. When a person has self-control, God and the desire to please God, that's what has. That's what has control over their lives. That's what gives them prudence. That's what gives them discipline. That's what puts within them some inner strength and the restraint and strength to avoid doing what is wrong? That's self-control, brothers and sisters. But here's another question. Where do we need it? Where do we need this? Where do we need to have some self-control? Well, let's start with this. Let's start with the obvious one. We got to have it with our tempers. Got to have it with our tempers. Go in your Bible, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going in my Bible to Ephesians 4, and the Apostle Paul there talks about how people are to live their lives once they become new creatures in Jesus Christ, once they put on the new self. Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse number 26, verse 26, be angry. Nothing wrong being angry. Anger is not a sin. The Bible doesn't say anger is a sin, but Paul does say this, be angry and yet do not sin. And he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil. We talked about this this morning, didn't we? Don't give the devil an opportunity. You ever get angry? You ever get mad? I get angry. I get mad. I get mad at people from time to time. I've been mad at a lot of people in my life. When I used to work in the secular world, I got mad at people on my job. I got mad at my bosses or my supervisors because I didn't like the way they talked to me. I've been mad at teachers before. 
and college professors and teammates and coaches and people in my family and cut me off in traffic and mess up my food at the restaurant and cheer for the Dallas Cowboys and I even get mad. I get mad at people in the church sometimes. I get mad at people in the church. I've done that before. And maybe you've done that kind of stuff as well. And you know when we're mad at people, when we're just furious and about to boil over at people, you know what the easy thing to do is in those moments? The easy thing to do is just let them people have it. Let them have it. Go into them and go into them hard. Shout at them, scream at them, tell them what's on your mind. Really try to hurt their feelings. That's the easy thing to do. That's the tempting thing to do. But the Bible says we can't do that, can we? Bible says we can't do that. Bible says we got to have self-control. We got to restrain ourselves. We got to avoid letting the devil use our anger and our rage as a tool to cause us to sin. That's what the Bible says. Got to have self-control when it comes to our tempers. And we also got to have it when it comes to our sexual desires. Remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Hebrew writer, the Hebrew writer said that marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You know, when it comes to sex and sexual intimacy, and we talked about this in our Zoom class Thursday night. When it comes to sex and sexual intimacy, that shouldn't make us fall, feel all weird and like, oh, I can't believe the preacher just said that. No, that's a Bible subject. That's a pretty early in the Bible subject. God invented sex and sexual intimacy all the way back into the beginning, all the way back with the relationship between Adam and Eve. And God has reserved that. He has reserved that for one place and one place alone. And that's between a husband and his wife. The Bible says that those who commit fornication, have sex and are not married, or commit adultery, they're going to be judged by God, and it takes self-discipline to do what that verse says. In fact, go in your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said this about the matter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in verse number 3, verse 3, Paul says, For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. What's Paul talking about there? Well, Paul's talking about self-control. He's talking about self-control. Talking about controlling our sexual desires and avoiding defiling ourselves with sexual immorality. He's talking about choosing to do what A.C. Green did, choosing to stay pure until we're married if we're single choosing not to act on unlawful sexual desires, choosing not to have an affair with our co-worker or with our classmates who are trying to reconnect with us on social media, choosing not to act on a same-sex attraction, choosing not to be immoral when I'm alone with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend, choosing not to do what David did when he looked upon Bathsheba with lust and had an affair with her. We got to have self-control when it comes to our, our sexual desires, and we also got to have it when it comes to our speech. I'm reminded of what James says in James 3. We studied about speech a few weeks ago in one of our lessons. We looked at James 3. Remember, James told us in James 3 that when it comes to the tongue, this little member of our body, James says that even though it's, it's, it's small, it's very powerful. 
It's extremely powerful. He says that the tongue has so much power that it can defile the entire body. He says it has the ability to burn down a forest, to destroy our lives and destroy the lives of other people. He says that we got to constantly guard our tongues. And we got to monitor our tongues and we got to watch over our tongues because no man can tame the tongue. You see, while we can, if we want to, allow any kind of words to come out of our mouths. While we can, if we want to, say any and everything we want to say, while we can use our words to, to hurt people when they make us mad, while we can use our words to insult people and curse people and mock people and make fun of people and bully people and tear people down and, and tell dirty jokes, while we can use our, our tongues to do those things, God expects us to have self-control. He expects us to have sound judgment and prudence when it comes to the tongue. We got to have self-control when it comes to our speech, and we also got to have it when it comes to our eyes. With our eyes, I'm going to my Bible to, to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, please. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse number 27. In Matthew 5 and verse 27, Jesus said these words, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice how Jesus says that it's not enough to not just touch. It's not enough to just abstain from the physical acts of adultery and fornication. Now, Jesus says we even got to control our eyes. We got to discipline our eyes. We got to learn to bounce our eyes, protect our eyes, avoid looking at things that we're not supposed to look at. We got to control what our eyes are looking at on TV and looking at on our cell phones and our iPads and our laptops. And, and we got to monitor what our eyes are looking at while we're working out at the gym and taking a jog in the neighborhood and even while attending a ball game and watching a halftime show. Got to control those eyes. Remember with David? Remember when, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Where did that all begin? Where did that, that path to destruction begin? Well, you and I know, don't we? It began with a what? A look. Lust. Looking upon a woman bathing on the rooftop of his house. Got to control our eyes. And we also got to control what we're putting in our bodies. We read from 1 Corinthians 6 in our Bible reading recently. Remember what Paul said about the body? The bodies, our bodies, don't really belong to us. They belong to God. And they're to be used for God's purposes. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as the people of God. Our bodies are to be used to, to glorify God. How do we glorify God in our, in our bodies? Well, part of that involves making sound and wise decisions about what we're putting in our bodies. It involves avoiding putting harmful things in our bodies, avoiding putting things in our bodies that will cause us to compromise our sober-mindedness, things like alcohol and drugs, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl. The gateway drug called marijuana. 
we have to control what we're putting in this. Because these bodies need to be used for the glory of God. But not only must we control what we put in our bodies, got to control what we're doing with our money. Why there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with working, making a good living, using some of your money to enjoy your blessings, to buy nice things. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but, but God still demands that we have some discipline, doesn't he? We got to have some discipline with our money. We got to exercise some discipline with our money. We got to avoid being greedy and selfish. We got to avoid being stingy and just using our money for all of our wants and our desires and, and the toys we want in this life. We got to use some of our money, God says, throughout the Bible to help people. To help the needy, to share, to display acts of kindness and grace, and certainly to support God's work. We got to have self-control when it comes to our money. Let me just add this on the list. We've got to have self-control when it comes to our thoughts. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 7, in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, Solomon says, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Paul would put it this way in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse number 5, please, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse number 5, the Apostle Paul says we are destroying speculations, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking, notice what he says, we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul says here, we got to take our thoughts captive. You know what that means? We got to control our thoughts. We got to control our thoughts. The Bible says we got to do that. We got to monitor our thoughts, discipline our thoughts. We got to control what we allow to come into our minds and constantly push out the stuff that is not in concert with the will of God. There are 10 other things I could put on this list, but you get the point. I think you can see this morning that when it comes to what we're talking about, this is a big issue. This is a big issue. This issue, self-control, it impacts so many different parts, so many different parts of our lives. And so here's the final question this morning, very quickly. Again, we go back to where we started. How do we get this? How do we obtain some self-control? What do we need in our lives if we're going to practice self-control? Well, I want to give you three things very quickly, and then, and then the lesson is going to be over. First, if we want to get some self-control, like Peter's talking about, the first thing we're going to need is we're going to need some knowledge. We're going to have to acquire knowledge from the word of God. Going back to the text in 2 Peter 1 and verse 6, remember Peter, Peter mentions knowledge right before self-control, does he not? Remember how in that text, Peter closely connects knowledge with self-control. I don't think it's by accident that Peter is doing that. In fact, it reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 11. In Psalm 119 and in verse 11, the psalmist says this. Verse 11, your word, talking about the word of God. I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. What's the psalmist saying there? Well, he is saying that when you have knowledge of the word of God. When you have all kinds of Bible passages stored up in your mind, that's going to help you. 
That's going to help you in your life. That's going to help you in your daily life when you begin to become assaulted by the great enemy who is the devil. You know, several years ago, several years ago, I went on Weight Watchers. You ever been on Weight Watchers before? I guess I'm the only one that didn't need to lose some weight. Never mind. Well, I went on Weight Watchers. I went on Weight Watchers several years ago. And man, I studied that thing like crazy. I tried to figure out the points, the point system, remember that? I wanted to read that book. I wanted to know how many points was this, how many points was that. Since I am a very picky eater, the people who know me well know that about me. I'm a very picky eater, and so I had to figure out what can I eat when I starve in the death. And so I studied those points. I figured it out, and I'm going to tell you something. That knowledge I got many years ago when I did Weight Watchers is still is ingrained in my mind today. It's still there. It still impacts my decisions when I'm tempted to get a couple of other chocolate chip cookies or get three more chicken nuggets from McDonald's. I stop in my tracks and I think about them points. I think I might hear how many points them chicken nuggets are according to Weight Watchers and how many points those chocolate chip cookies are and that cheesecake is from the Cheesecake Factory. That information has stood with me to this day. You see, knowledge of something impacts your decisions. It impacts the decisions you make in your, in your daily life. It does this when it comes to something like Weight Watchers, and it does this when it comes to the Bible. You see, when you have a lot of Bible knowledge in you, whenever somebody's making you mad, when somebody's making you furious on your job, or because they cut you off on the 202, or because they insulted you or insulted a member of your family or they made you mad on social media or maybe you're just upset with your spouse. When you find yourself in that situation, you got Bible knowledge in you, you're going to immediately think about Bible verses. You're going to immediately think about Ephesians 4 and verse 26 where Paul says, be angry and don't sin. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Whenever you find yourself tempted, you start letting your eyes wander all over the place. And look at stuff you're not supposed to look at. If you got Bible knowledge in you, you're going to immediately think about Matthew 5, 28. You're going to immediately think about what Jesus says when he says that looking upon another with lust is equal to adultery of the heart. Whenever you find yourself tempted to go too far with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend, you're going to immediately think about Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Well, the Hebrew writer says that God is going to judge fornicators and adulterers. You see, if we want to get self-control, got to get the knowledge. Got to get the information stored up in our minds. And after we do that, we got to have some forethought. Got to have forethought. Got to think about the consequences of our decisions. Got to do what Jesus said in Luke 14, 28. Jesus talked about counting the cost. We got to count the cost. We got to quickly realize how failing to restrain our speech or our temper or our anger or our sexual passions or even our eyes. That's not just going to impact us. That's going to more importantly impact God. Remember Joseph in Genesis 39 and verse 9 when he was in a tempting situation when Potiphar's wife was trying to have an affair with him and he's just a young man. How does he get out of that situation? Well, he tells her, how can I commit this great evil and sin against? Sin against God. Joseph thought about how his actions, his lack of self-control was going to impact God. And that's what I got to do. 
I got to think about how my lack of self-control will impact God, will impact Jesus, will impact my family, my good name, my ability to have influence while I do God's work. I got to also be willing to think about how a lack of self-control might cost me my freedom. It might get me in trouble with the law. It might cost somebody their life, it might cost me my life might bring about some damage in my life that I can never repair. Got to get some knowledge of the Bible. Got to get some forethought. Got to think about the impact of my decisions. And then finally, I got to build me some walls. I got to get me some walls. Remember what Solomon told us? He said that a man who has some self-control is like a city that has some walls. I got to make sure I got walls in my life. Self-control is about having walls. It's about having things in your life that will fortify you and secure you and restrain you. It's about doing whatever is necessary to protect yourself, protect your spirit, protect your emotions, protect your desires that are contrary to the will of God. You see, for those of us who may be married, having some self-control, keeping ourselves out of a tempting situation, that might require us blocking some folks on social media. That might require us cutting ourselves off from an old boyfriend, a girlfriend from high school or college because they sent us a friend request and that made our hearts flutter a little bit. I might have to put a wall up, cut that person off. I shouldn't be feeling that way. It might require us never purchasing any streaming channels or having internet access in our home because we know we can't handle that. It might require never going to a restaurant that has a bar in it or refusing to hang out with a certain group of people or never getting on social media and looking at people's pictures because I know I can become angry and jealous and bitter easily. And if I wanna keep those emotions from festering in my soul, I just don't need to get on social media and look at people's happy lives. Gotta build some walls. You know, I recently read an article by Wilson Adams. Many of y'all know Wilson Adams, right? read an article by Wilson Adams, and he said this. He said that there are many things in life we can't control. He says we can't control the weather, we can't control traffic, or if our airline changes the schedule, the travel schedule at a moment's notice. We can't control what others do or even say about us, but one thing we can control is ourselves. We can't control what we do and how we react in all situations. I like that, don't you? I like that. I like it because it's true. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what Peter is teaching. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 6, Peter says, in addition to having solid faith and supplying virtue and knowledge, as Christians, we've got to get self-control. We got to get self-control. Self-control is a big part of discipleship. And maybe this morning you need to begin the journey of discipleship in the Lord. Maybe this morning you need to begin that journey, that life of self-control and a relationship with Jesus Christ. A life where you give full control of yourself over to God because you're willing to submit to God and obey God and do the things that he says that you need to do. If that means you need to 
repent of your sins and be immersed in the waters of baptism, or if that means you're a Christian and you need to repent because maybe you haven't been having the kind of self-control that God wants you to have in your life. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, we will help you with that right here and right now. Let's stand, let's sing. Zion's cause in the ring's on.